Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he sent me off the shots. So tell me why you mad Left is Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam, Packard professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you with three games left in the regular season for the Boston Celtics, who currently sit in second place and will have to do some playoff positioning, some strategery to try and figure out the best place for them uh, as they head into the playoffs, which will start next week. They are coming off two wins, a kind of closer, ugly win over the Indiana Pacers, an absolutely butt-kicking of the Washington Wizards in which they won by 45 points. And they're kind of adjusting to this new world without Robert Williams and something that has been a point of emphasis for Ime Yudoka, something he's talked about a lot, and something that Jay King wrote about today on The Athletic, is trying to figure out if they can kind of replace the magic of that starting lineup with Robert Williams by inserting Daniel Tyson there. Daniel Tyson, Danny Two Blocks, as most people call him, just turned 30 years old, uh, and has gotten uh, a lot of minutes next to Al Horford. In a very small sample size, I think they've looked pretty good, but Jay, you dove into the numbers and looked at the film What's been your impression of uh, that Tice Horford connection? I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. Uh, over 76 minutes with that group, they have a plus, the Celtics have a plus 30.1 net rating, which is insane. Okay, how many of those, how many of those minutes came in that Wizards game? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The sample size is tiny. They, some of the minutes came against the Wizards. Some of the minutes came against the Pacers. And obviously, those minutes can't really be trusted to to be a good predictor of how that group will play in the playoffs against Joel Embiid or Giannis or somebody like that. But I mean, it's it's better that they're kicking the shit out of teams now than than that they they were, I guess. Um, they're not kicking the shit out of teams. Yes, winning winning is good. Yeah, and, and it's like that because of the Robert Williams injury thing. That's like one of the few things the Celtics kind of have to figure out about themselves is what do they want their front court to look like? Do they want to go with Grant Williams at power forward? Do they want to start Tyson Horford together? Do they want to – like how are they going to close? Do they go small with Derek White? in the starting lineup. Do they do that? Just put Derek White in the starting lineup to begin with in a playoff series. So I think because of the Robert Williams injury, and, and maybe some of those things would have been on the table anyway, just because the playoffs bring new challenges. But but that's definitely something that they have to to kind of figure out. And and so far, like they've looked really good together. Al Horford is not Tristan Thompson. I think we've learned. <laughs> That is true. And it, uh, I mean, the two man lineup, we all, all Celtics fans have some trauma from those early Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice double big lineups. But it has looked pretty effective. Um, I think the question that you have with the kind of playing Tyson Horford together is for a team that really struggles with shooting, is that a sustainable offense, especially down the stretch? Now, it doesn't seem like the cell that like there is a really a great option for a closing lineup that really provides you with defense and shooting. I know Derek White has improved um, from that perspective and has knocked down shots at a little bit better pace 
than he did when he first arrived in the Celtics. But like right now, I feel like I would lean towards using Grant Williams, although he struggled shooting late, did knock down some threes against them, but it seemed like everyone was knocking down threes against the Wizards. I guess if you're Ime Udoka, like who's your go-to closing lineup at this point? Like what do you think gives you the best options on on both sides of the ball? Or do you kind of just use it depending on, on like circumstance? Like maybe you need a more defensive lineup, so you go double bigs, or maybe you need a smaller lineup, you go white. Like where where do you would you lean right now if uh, some crazy method made you the head coach? Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. I I think. At first, after the Derek White trade, I would have anticipated that Derek White would be in the closing lineup, and it would be probably Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Derek White. How but, have we not really seen that? Like, I feel like it's we, that lineup is not. Emay's not really used it a lot, or I just don't remember a lot of moments where they've gone small with like those four and a big. I haven't looked into the numbers. Uh, I'm. Yeah, it, it's weird because well, like, like it just, hasn't happened yet. They haven't had a lot of crunch time, and so so that's one of the reasons. Um, and then a, another reason probably is that Derek White hasn't shot the ball well, uh, although until recently he's come alive a little bit. But but now I think because of White's shooting problems, you have to like Grant Williams could, could be on the table. And if Robert Williams is out, obviously Horford is, is probably a, a main staple in that closing lineup. So I, I don't know. I, I think Grant Williams like could be in it on a given night. And then the other thing is could be matchups. Like if you're playing Joel Embiid and, and James Harden, you might want Tyson Horford out there to have two guys to protect the rim against to two of the opponents who who live inside the paint and who are as physical as, as just about any scorers in the league. So, uh, I, I mean, the, the good thing is Ime Udoka has options. The bad thing is that that I don't think it's as clear as I thought it was when the Celtics traded for Derek White. Like, I thought it was pretty obvious at that point he would be in their closing lineup. Um, and maybe, maybe it is that easy. Maybe it's just, he's going to be there. They'll try to figure out the potential lack of shooting by just being really smart and having defense everywhere and having guys who, four guys who can put it on or five of Val Horford's in the closing lineup, five guys who can put it on the, on, on the floor and make plays for others. And so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, and Derek White's shooting could impact a lot of this. Like, and I also want to see how will Emi Odoka react if like Derek White is goes into a really bad cold spell in the playoffs. Is he going to be the type of guy who just stays with him no matter what? Is he going to be the type of guy to yank him and and go with another option? Who's he? I mean, who's he going to put Williams? in? Uh, a, a you can certainly guy, go Grant Sam Williams. Hauser? You can certainly go Grant Williams. Yeah. Um, or you could even go Peyton Pritchard if, if you really want to space the court. Like, I, I don't think that's totally out of the question. Like, they did it against the Mavericks, that one close game they played. <laughs> they play so many blowouts that they don't really have crunch time much. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Emei's got to figure that out. How, how, how confident are you in Emei Odoka as a playoff coach before his first postseason? Like, do you have any idea what you might see out of him? Are you, are you, do you think he'll be quick to make adjustments? Do you think he'll be too rigid? Like, what do you expect out of the, the Ime Udoka playoff experience? It's really hard to judge because we just haven't seen the game to game adjustments like you do see in the playoffs. Um, and my first reaction, and this is based on, I would say, nothing in particular, but I feel like he's pretty, short and rigid with his rotations, but he did mention that he's like willing to go to Peyton Pritchard down the stretch of that Mavericks game. Like he's willing to make the adjustment based on matchup. And so I'm not entirely sure what to expect from Ime Yudoka. And it is his first playoffs, but he did has seen a lot of playoff uh, kind of as a, as a coach under Popovich and then his years in 
Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure it out on the fly here, but I feel like he is doing that as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see if him just like put someone else in who's not working. I think he's because he has uh, guys he's comfortable with, like Grant Williams, like Peyton Pritchard, like Derek White, and I guess Tice at this point. Um, I think he – I wouldn't be surprised to see him use any of those guys in that closing lineup. I would be shocked if he like got to a point where he's like, we got to put Neesmith in there. And so I think he's been very, very clear about who his nine or eight or nine guys are. I don't feel like he's going to be the wall. He's, he's not going to start Gerald Green in game three of the series. Like, I don't think he's going to be that old in his uh, adjustments. What if he just started Sam Hauser in a playoff series? <laughs> we need shooting, baby. <laughs> that would be like the, the equivalent of that Gerald Green move. Obviously, Gerald was a veteran, so it's not exact. But that was just a wild, wild Brad Stevens move. I wish I wish I had a photo of my face when he shared that <laughs> with, with the media. That was just just insanity. Um, but yeah, the the email thing. I think, like like you said, he has been pretty rigid in his rotation, and I think obviously in playoffs, coaches are normally rigid in their rotation. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like forty five, forty six minutes apiece. Like, I, I think that could be a pretty regular thing, at least, like, deeper in a series or in a close game. Like, those guys are going to play a, a lot of minutes, I think. He, he will not be the type of coach to be like, yeah, let's try to keep them at 39 or 40. Even though it's the playoffs, like, we should get them some rest so that they're at peak form. I think he'll just play them a lot and expect them to be at peak form regardless. And then the other part is... Like, it took him a while to make some of the changes that I think were were pretty obvious. And and the, playing Dennis Schroeder in crunch time for a long time, even though that was not going to work or did not work. Uh, and I, I, at the time, like, and, and maybe he deserves more lee, leeway for that because I, I do think there's a world where Dennis Schroeder – yeah, maybe not. There's not a world where Dennis is going to like help help maximize the the other guys around him in that lineup. But but I don't think it was crazy to think like the the Celtics ceiling could have come with Dennis Schroeder in that closing lineup. Um, but but it didn't work for a while, and he stayed with it, and and it took him a long time to change that until like what January that he finally changed that. Um, so, but that, that's the regular season. Like, is he, is he Mike Budenholzer levels of stubborn in terms of just like not going to change in the playoffs? Like if you get your ass kicks in game one and game two, and you're so stubborn that you just like, don't think like make adjustments for game three. I think that's like a, a major infraction on, uh, you as a coach. I feel like it's just human nature to kind of change up, if, especially in a playoff series where, you know, who your matchup's going to be like, I feel like the regular season was a lot about trying to establish habits of sharing the basketball, playing the ball, like right way on the defensive end, putting in the effort. If you like adjustments in the playoffs, I feel like it's where it's like a totally different style of coaching. And just like entirely different decision-making process. Yeah. There's an entirely different speed. You have to make all those decisions. Like you need to be able to determine from 10 minutes of play, like, Oh, this starting lineup is not going to work. Like we need to switch this up. We need to go from, let's say, Tyson Horford to Horford and Grant Williams. Or you need to decide. And, and the good thing, I think, or why those decisions should be limited with this Celtics team is that they have all guys who can defend in the, in their rotation. And so it's not like you'll be switching – a lineup just because it it just can't match up defense. Like they'll be able to match up defensively with with most teams, but do you need more size against Giannis? Do you do you need to go smaller to to try to you know beat the Seventy Sixers down the floor because they don't have a ton of athletes outside of Embiid and Tyrese Maxey? Like 
those are the things you have to know on the fly. And, and we'll see. I mean, and then the other thing too, and he may like, he adjusts the, he'll adjust like defensive schemes and stuff like that, but he, he doesn't go zone. Like he's not going to be Spolstro or Nick nurse and like go a quarter of zone to try to take you out of a rhythm. Uh, and may, maybe that's, I wish he did though, because anytime their defense he kicks out zone, anytime they yeah. play a zone against the Celtics, it's just like, God damn it. This zone. It's like such a annoying wrinkle to be able to throw against the team. And it feels like as much as I um, am frustrated by the existence of Nick nurse and Eric Spolstra, I just like, you have to respect them, like working that into their regular season. So they can use that in a playoff series. And like, you can turn a game on that. You can turn a game just like on six minutes in the third quarter because you went zone and all of a sudden the team forgot how to get a shot. And it's not like the Celtics defense needs to rely on gimmicks to be that dominant, but it just feels like a nice card to be able to play or to have in your pocket. Um, and it's like maybe something you wish the Celtics had at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But their man to man defense kicks ass and <laughs> like they have a lot of different ways to beat you with that man to man defense. You know, like, like it, it's not a man to man defense that sits back and have like, like the bucks, let's say like, they have Brooke Lopez in the paint and he's going to protect the paint and they're going to force you to shoot threes. And if you hit a ton of threes, like they may be out of luck. Um, and Budenholzer has grown a, a little less rigid over the years. He, he's done some different things, especially when Brooke Lopez was out, they had to try other stuff. He's going to switch into the playoffs. But my point is like that defense is designed one way. Whereas the Celtics, they switch, they're versatile. They, they can throw different matchups. They can throw, you know, like length on a point guard. They can throw Jason Tatum on a point guard. They can have Robert Williams or Al Horford switch onto a point guard. They like they there are a lot of different ways that they can beat you with their defense. And and I think that that, that is going to be a good thing and that's going to be an asset in the playoffs. And that's something that, that doesn't have to do with how Emil Doko will be as a playoff coach, just how he's coached the defense overall. Like they'll be ready for whatever comes their way because their defense is extremely versatile. Uh, so I think that should make it easier on him uh, or in, in a sense, he's made it easier on himself by building a defense that, that is so versatile. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens when, you know, they're down one, nothing in a playoff series and, Derek White went 0 for 5 from the floor or from three and and they've got to figure it out. Like what does he do? I I couldn't tell you the answer. I have no idea what it's gonna be. Um but I do know that some of the coaches they could play, especially Spolstra. And like Spolstra will be ready and Spolstra will challenge you and Spolstra will use his roster in ways that that really, really test you. And and we'll see how Emi Odoka does. I think that's one of the biggest questions for the Celtics going into the playoffs is is how how does Emi respond coaching wise when when things don't go well for them in the playoffs? What are the adjustments he makes? What what players does he call on? What what does he lean toward? Like Brad Stevens, I feel like we always knew he was going to lean toward the most skill in the closing lineup, right? Like he normally went to smaller lineups, which another shooter. He loved three guard lineups. Like that was the Brad Stevens. uh, That's what his go-to. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is Emi Odoka going to lean on when? I feel like it's size. I feel like it's like right now, just thinking it feels like it's going to be Grant Williams because it feels like Emi loved to put Grant in and just to like absorb and be a big body on kind of the other team's best player. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Grant Williams gives you some shooting, at least as a guy who can hang out in the corner and uh, at least knock down threes numbers-wise, but then can still provide um, just size. And it's not like he's the greatest rim deterrent there is, but just makes you think a little bit before or makes it a little bit harder to go in the paint. It feels like Grant Williams is kind of uh, it's shaping up for him to kind of play a, ma- a major role uh, in the series. And then maybe that's just because they haven't had like, like the close games, like you said, and had a, had a reason to go real small, but it feels like, uh, 
there's been a, a reluctance or a less of a willingness to kind of trot out the, the four ball handler lineup and, and Grant seemingly, and, and Grant gives you that opportunity because he still provides you with defense and size and shooting. Um, but it feels like his role becomes more important, especially if Derek White can't, can't knock down threes and kind of give you the, the spacing and the speed you get from a smaller lineup. Yeah. I don't, I honestly think that the Celtics could be okay. If, if white doesn't knock down shots, like he, he could still find ways to be a plus. He's really good at cutting. He's really good at finding the space. He's really good at, you know, beating a defense that that's leaving him open without necessarily knocking down shots. What if he doesn't knock down threes and doesn't knock down his little float game? Like if he's just a zero on offense, because he's struggled with the floaters too. Like sometimes he gets them and it's like, Ooh, Derek White just went on a little like six or eight point run. And it feels like he's really changed the energy there. But then there's been some, and I'm thinking like the, the miss at the end of the Raptors game stands out because he just left it way short, but he's kind of, that's the the one concern is like, what if he's just a real offensive zero? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have I have a hard time believing he'll be an offensive zero, just because his passing will be influential. Um, he's not one to take bad shots. He's going to get into the paint and 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 be physical. Draw he draws a, a few free throws. Like he he he's probably not the type to be a total zero, but I it could definitely be where things go wrong with his jumper, and that means not just threes but pull ups, floaters, whatever. Uh, and teams, I mean, teams will be trying to force him and Marcus Smart to score themselves, and I'm sure there will be a game when Marcus Smart is like four for 15 or three for 15 or whatever it is in the playoffs. And the Celtics will have to overcome that. He'll probably have another game where he hits like 19 threes or something and redeems himself. But, but those are like the, the issues that could arise for the Celtics when the playoffs do come. So what, uh, yeah, I'm really curious about Ime. Ime as a playoff coach. Maybe that's just where where we are. Like the Celtics have been kind of, I don't want to say boring lately, but they've just pounded teams, and there hasn't been much new. So now I'm like, all right, playoffs are coming, <laughs> and and this is new. This is new, especially for Ime. We have no clue what he's going to be like. So I'm I'm really interested by that. Well, we got two heavyweights waiting right now in the audience, and so they're never boring. So I think we should go to them now, right down to uh, our friend in South Carolina, Aaron Neesmith correspondent, Richard D. Richard D., how are you doing? Hey, guys. How we doing? Fantastic. Great to hear from you. All right. All right. Yeah. So I got to tell you, Sam, I ratted you out. I talked to Bobby Kremens out there. I said, this dude. Never heard of you. Never heard of you. <laughs> Never heard of you. But um, anyway, it, it's funny. Um, don't you think not not to not to change games, but last night you couldn't help but think about it. North Carolina was so good in the semis, and then you know it just makes you wonder. Like all the same shots are short. Even the kid, the Baycott with the free throws, everything was short. And you know, you look at that lineup. They only played seven people, and. uh you know, when it when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, it's easy to second guess. But anyway, that, that's that's my whole point is, is it's hard to make a run. And don't get me wrong. One shot goes the right way and, and, and it proves it wrong. But, um, you know, those short lineups, I'm just a big fan of keeping 12, 12 13 bodies ready. And uh, whether you need them or not, it just it's hard to make a, a deep run going. Are are you predicting that Aaron Neesmith will be the Puff Johnson of the Celtics? Yes, I am. get to the <laughs> Jay, I'm glad you put those words in my mouth. But um, <laughs> man, I was so upset the other night. I was trying to like, I I got to get to that podcast. Aaron finally got, you know, a, a nice little run and what have you. And of course, I missed it. So, but um, so Jay, dumb question: Do you go on the road with these guys? Yeah, I'm in Chicago right now. No, so you'll be in Milwaukee Thursday. I will indeed. Okay, so I might see it there because I gotta. I can't decide if I'm sitting in Aaron's seats or Chris's seats, but um, 
So do you ever interview the other team or you don't do that? Uh, rarely. I, when, when we were allowed in the locker room, it was a lot easier to do that because you could like sneak into yeah. the opposing locker room and then go gotcha. to the Celtics locker room. But now it's like all Zoom calls or, or press conferences in a, in a certain room. So gotcha. it's tough wow. to do both these days. Well, I just think I just think that I, I need to set you up with Chris and Aaron and just, you know, at the end of the day, if, if um, look, first of all, the Celtics are playing great. I'm happy with everything they're doing. And, um, you know, on Thursday night, it's tough because both of my pulling for both my kids. But I'm telling you, if um, if you're ever going to pull a time to do it, um, you talk about somebody that, you know, goes against the other guy all the time. I mean, between Josiah James at, at Tennessee and Ahern and Chris, they just go at it. Like, they don't, they don't have a social life. I told you all that before. They just go at it in the summers. Just go at it, go at it, go at it. And so. You know about someone, someone that knows every single move of Chris. Like if, if I'm a Celtics coach, I'm I'm putting Aaron in on Chris, and um, you know, just just for shits and giggles, right? Just to see <laughs> at the end of the day, you know. Uh, and, anyway, we appreciate your call, man. Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, and uh, I'll come say hi in Milwaukee. Sounds good. All right, guys, look forward All to right. it. Beautiful. Take care, my man. See you. From from one legend, always love the check-in from Aaron Neesmith, uh, correspondent Richard D. Do you think there's any chance Neesmith gets in the playoffs series just because he has the crazy energy and can, like, hypothetically provide a, a spark that no one else does? Do you think Ime has enough trust in him at this point in the season? Uh, honestly, I would say probably not just because Ime tends to lean the other way. Like... Like, Brad used to be, like, he would say he would throw darts. And when things would go wrong, like, sometimes he'd just throw Gershon Yabuselli in the middle of a playoff series. <laughs> you know? And, and that was Ime's Brad. not a dart thrower. Ime is yeah. not a dart thrower. Yeah, Ime very much, like, when things go wrong, he tends to revert back to, like, okay, let's just go go to our best players. And let's let's shrink the rotation instead of adding another guy to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean... If if they need a spark, Aaron Neesmith would be a guy to provide it because he does and have he, a whole lot of energy. He's the only guy because I just feel like he's not going to any deeper on the bench than Aaron Neesmith. Like it feels like yeah. he's going to go with a rotation, and then if there's another guy, it's Neesmith, but it goes no farther than that. Like I would be shocked if we saw Sauce Castillo out there. Yeah, there's Hanager. no way it would go to ten. It, but Neesmith could be nine. Neesmith would be nine if they go to nine. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. All right, now we're going to go for a jolt of energy. Thank God. It's Joshua B. Joining us here on In the Athletic. Anything is potable. Joshua, how is it going? It's going great. Thank you, for com- Thank you for coming back to Earth, J. King, because I've noticed your accent. 
just like I've noticed nobody talking about the Celtics because, as you said, they're a little boring. But why are they boring? Are they boring because they can flex you big if they really want to flex you big? Because these guys will come off the bench because you do have Jason Tatum. You do have Jalen Brown. Are they boring because they can flex you small? Because they do have Marcus Smart and they do have Peyton Pitcher, and they do have 6'2 Grant Williams and they do, and if they want to go even bigger, you can go with Daniel Dice and Robert and um, Al Horford. And that just happens to be eight players that I just listed just off the cuff. And by the way, I didn't mention player number nine, Derek White. So now we're nine deep. And God forbid we ever get Robert Williams back like I told you he should come back after four to six weeks. That would make 10. So anybody who is sweating over the 11th and 12th man on the bench needs to calm the hell down. Ten people. Is <laughs> That's uh, I, 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 I've got a question before you continue. But sure. please, please don't don't let me knock you off track. I won't. Is this who you really are, or do you play a character when you come on this show? Like, this is what I keep all of my Celtics thoughts in all week as I listen to podcasts. I don't call in to podcasts that are solely focused on the Celtics except for this one. And the only reason that I do call into this one is because I know that you are going on point of contention and basketball buds only to hear you guys <laughs> in all kinds of time. Talking about, you know, how wonderful DeJounte Murray and Jaka Pertle are fighting for the ace team with the San Antonio Spurs. So I wait all week for this to come on so that I can hear Zach Harper go on the rundown and, and talk about how hard it is for the Razzies, you know, and, and Shaq. Right. That's the reason that I come on this. No, I bottle up all of my Celtics energy for this podcast. So that's my that's my question. That's point. So, so that's. The answer to your question. Can I continue? I got some more. Go off, kid. Go off. Absolutely. Okay. So, number three, um, after I answered your question, after I made the point about us being versatile, I have a big big question for you. I've got a serious question for you, Jay King. Which one of the Milwaukee forwards are we going to roast in the playoffs with either Jalen Brown? Or Jason Tatum? Is it going to be Grayson Allen? Is it going to be Pat Connaughton? Is it going to be um, is it going Where's to be Matthews? Portis? Who, which one are we going to just torch? Because everything that I hear on how bad the Celtics are, how boring they are, how they can't make it past Milwaukee, is just look at how big and strong Milwaukee is. Last I checked, we have, we have Al Horford and Robert Williams coming back for the second round. So which one of their wings is going to handle us? Who are you deeply scared of? Are you deeply scared of Chris Middleton on defense? Because that's the right answer. The right answer is Chris Middleton will take one of them away. Okay, who's going to take the other one? Because I've noticed that Jalen Brown has been that Jalen Brown has been playing really well. Has nobody else? Does it take 144 points against the Wizards for people to start talking about the Celtics? The answer to that question is no, because nobody talks about him the very next day. Right? What does it take? Like it takes a Derek White missed layup with three of our starters out for people to talk about the Celtics. Is that what it I takes? Feel like, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about the Celtics lately. Like, well, you'd be wrong. You people are not <laughs> talking about the Celtics. But, but pe- people have been calling the Celtics. I, I was just listening to uh, the low post. They were talking about Marcus Smart's uh, all-defensive team candidacy. So – I do feel like people have caught up to the Celtics and everyone has talked about how hard it is for us to lose Robert Williams. Yes. People have been talking (laughs) about how difficult it is for Robert Williams, who was a defensive player of the year candidate, to now be gone four to six weeks. Yeah, they've been talking about that. What about Celtics? The fact that we're in the two seed. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Ask away. What, What do you think the Celtics should do? For these final three games, in terms of in terms of seeding, um, are you just oh, are such an optimist that it doesn't matter whatsoever, and then there will nope. be no strategic involved? No, 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 no. It does matter. I think Milwaukee's going to be coming off a back to back, and that if we can steal that game, we should try and steal that game, especially if Miami loses tonight, because the one seed against Philadelphia. We will own the 76ers in the second round. We don't even need Robert Williams back for that. Really, we need Time Lord for either Miami or for Milwaukee. So ideally, we do try to win all three games. I actually think Memphis is going to rest their stars because I don't think they have any reason to play at yeah, all. I, I don't mean, think they're going to play their dudes in that game. That would be weird of them to do. 
So then that leaves Chicago. That leaves Chicago. That leaves what are we going to do against the Bulls tomorrow night after they get done playing the Bucks on their back-to-back? And the answer is we're going to play, just like Ime Udoka always plays. I'm very curious as well. I'm curious about the exact same thing you are, J. King. I'd love to know what Ime Udoka will do in the playoffs as a head coach. If only he had ever been a head coach anywhere else. No, he's never been. So, of course, <laughs> no answer to that, right? All we know is that we go 10 deep and that it's that it's possible that we make it to the second round. Because, yeah, I think we should go for the one seed if it's in play. Now, on the other hand, Miami can completely take it out of play by simply winning two of their next three and just then it's all done. In which case, who cares? What difference does it make? Because we're going to beat anybody – except for maybe Milwaukee in the second round without Time Lord. But we better be missing Time Lord because if we are I, I thought you just said the Celtics would destroy Milwaukee's other guy on the perimeter. Yeah, I think that there's a matchup problem there, and I don't hear anybody talking about that. I think that whenever – You don't think Chris Middleton will take one of them and Drew Holiday will take the other? No, I think Drew Holiday – And then Grayson Allen will start – Marcus Smart is going to score 35 Smart. points. I think that Drew Holiday is going to stay – Marcus Smart 35 points per game series. I like that. <laughs> That's what happened against Toronto when we were missing four guys. So I think the league knows. But anyway, so that so the question that I asked I asked that I wanted to ask in the whole in that whole thing is why are like, why is everybody deeply concerned? Like what's really the problem in the first round? You know, what are what are we worried about? Whether we're the two seed or whether we're the three seed, right? Like what's what's really the problem? Robert Williams took my advice from last show and decided I'm <laughs> four to six weeks because it wasn't, it wasn't the surgeon making the decision. Once he opened up Robert Williams knees, it was Josh B's advice. Yeah, it was my advice. He said, I would rather live a lifetime knowing that I gave it my all when it actually mattered than have a fully working meniscus. And that made sense to me in my head. <laughs> <laughs> So my question is, what are you really scared of, right? I get it that we I get it that there's a difference between hope and expectations, right? What are our expect like when we're being really serious, right? What are our expectations? Well, I'll tell you what my expectation was when we were losing and we were at the beginning of the year, my hope was that we could make the playoffs, right? And my expectation was that maybe we end up in the middle of the pack, right? Maybe we end up with like a middle of the first round lottery pick and we run in place until everybody's healthy and hopefully make a run. Well, now that we've had this giganto winning streak, what are my expectations? My expectations are to get to the second round of the playoffs, right? That's what I expect. And if we slap it there, right, if we stop there, what are we afraid of? Right. What actually brings us fear? And don't answer Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or the rest. Don't answer that. What are we worried about? What are we actually like nervous about? Where do we not match up? We just talked about the flexibility. You just talked about the flexibility. We can go up and down with anybody. You can play us small. You can play us big. You can play us any which way you want. And short of Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and Brooke Lopez better continue to play the way he's been where the way he's been playing, because if he slips even a little with his conditioning, then we have a new hole. I'm being crazy. Everybody thinks that I'm. <laughs> Joshua, you're you're not crazy. You're crazy like a fox, and uh, I appreciate. Uh, you're all kind of crazy, Josh. <laughs> oh, like like uh, it's a good question, Jay. I think. Uh, the Joshua's framing can be a bit, um, I would say, exaggerated sometimes because I don't know if anyone's really uh, scared for the Boston Celtics. And I think in our all of our discussions about the Celtics in the playoffs, we have completely skipped to the second round in all of those discussions. Like we have not even considered who's the best, most favorable first round matchup for them. We have already assumed them winning a first round uh, series. So to continue on. I think that the the issue for the Celtics is what we saw in that game against the Miami Heat is just like what their defense is going to be pretty solid. I think it's going to be they would play close games against the Heat against the Sixers. I actually think they're uh, better than the Sixers at this point, just because I don't think the Sixers have a lot of defense or depth. But playing against the Milwaukee Bucks is like yes, there is uh, they might have someone like Wesley Matthews or. Grayson Allen or 
Pat Connaughton, who you can attack. But they just put those people on Marcus Smart. They put Drew Holiday on uh, Jalen Brown and then Chris Middleton on Tatum or, you know, this Giannis Antetokounmpo guy. Uh, and the Celtics struggle to score down the stretch. Like the Celtics offense, especially without Robert Williams, uh, I just don't know if it's proven to be uh, as efficient and as effective in crunch time as you would want heading into the postseason. I'd like, so that's what my like expectations and fears would be for the Celtics going up against an elite opponent like the Heat or the Bucks. It's just that I think the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. It's just whether or not you have enough offense where the teams are just focused on getting the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands. Can you have enough knockdown shooting to kind of make teams pay for having that one weekend? It's not just going to turn into like you can isolate on like one guy and like you're not just going to abuse Tyler Hero or Pat Connaughton every single possession down the stretch. These teams are good enough to kind of not put their players in that position and you're going to have to figure out other ways to score. Like I'm, I'm still in a daze from Josh's energy, man. <laughs> that dude it's hard to even on. slow him down. Like I, that I cut him off earlier than he. <laughs> he raises his hand as soon as the podcast starts, and then just waits and waits and waits. And I feel like, like his blood pressure just keeps rising and rising. And and then he'll listen oh, well, to it's, national it's podcasts. We, and, it's a good thing yeah. we give him a release, otherwise he would explode. That is true. We are we are the only thing keeping Josh. I, I would say probably sane, but that that could be a, a touch too far. I love you, Josh. Your your calls are are always just an adventure. <laughs> Let me ask you the same question I asked Josh. What do you think the Celtics should do with this seeding? Uh, they have a back-to-back with the Bulls and the Bucks. The Bucks actually, the Bucks game against the Celtics is the first of um, their back-to-back. So their second night of a back-to-back comes after that game. So I think they'll be fully rested. I agree that I don't think they're like the Memphis game should be a gimme. I think at this point, you probably just go for it and you try to get the, I guess, the two seed. If my assuming Miami wins tonight. But there is – I have considered the option of just like – it, it really depends on what happens in that Chicago game. If they were to lose that Chicago game, then I think you just kind of like rest the players against Milwaukee and hope you get a four seed um, so you avoid Milwaukee or the 76ers in the next round. Because the Sixers are could win tonight. I think they're playing um, – I forget who they're playing, but they're, it's not a good team. They should win tonight. And they the are Sixers playing. are going to be – they are not playing at all tonight. Well, oh, that's correct right. They're me. Playing the Pacers. They're playing the Pacers. They're playing the Pacers, so they should win tonight. The Bucks are playing the Bulls tonight, and so if both those teams win, they're dead even with the Celtics in terms of games played. The Celtics could easily end up where anywhere from two to four. Like, how do you think they should play it? Given that there's a back-to-back, they want people to be rested, but then also. With this new play-in tournament, there's going to be a full week of rest between that Memphis game and when they would hypothetically have game one of a playoff series. So what do you think their strategy should be over the – I guess let's focus in on uh, this back-to-back with Chicago-Milwaukee. I I mean, as Ime Odoka keeps saying, get healthy, be as healthy as possible and playing well. And I I think that's a focus because – Honestly, the standings are so jumbled that anything could happen. Um, And I I do think that maybe falling to four would line the Celtics up with the second, the best second round opponent. Like, I, I think there's an argument to be made that Miami would be a better second round opponent than Milwaukee. Or Philly, maybe, but I I don't know that that that's true. Um, At this point, it's like anything could happen. Is just like go out, roll the basketballs out, and play basketball. Like I can understand, yeah, and, and especially now that Brooklyn, I mean, they're not locked into the ninth or tenth spot, but they're likely going to be in the ninth or tenth spot, which means that they won't be able to get up to the seventh seed. Which means that if you get the two, you're not going to have to play Kevin Durant in round one. 
And, I mean, and who knows if he can even like make it past Nick uh, Nick Freeman in a playoff setting. That is true. I mean, <laughs> you, you say you say that's somewhat in jest, but it would I be don't. Tough. It, it's not easy to, especially if they if they finish in tenth where they are right now. It's not easy to win two playing games on the road, even if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. When their like, defense is is what it is, and it's just not good, and you like play a Hornets team that can re- like with the highest pace in the league that can really score the basketball, and then hypothetically play Trey Young and the Hawks who have won five games straight, it's absolutely difficult to win two playing games on the road. Has anyone ever won two playing games on the road? Well, there's only been one year of playing games, and so I don't believe it happened last year. It might have been the West in Memphis. Or were they in? Oh, yeah. Memphis did exactly that, didn't they? <laughs> or were they in? Nine? They might have been in ninth, though. So the first one might have been home. I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The The point is, if you're two, you're probably going to avoid Brooklyn at this at this rate. So two, two would be fine. And then you'd have home court advantage in round two against probably either Milwaukee or Philadelphia, if that's, if that's what happens. So... I don't know. I, I still think like having Robert Williams for a series against Milwaukee or Philadelphia would be pretty important, but maybe he'll be back by the second round. Who knows? He could be. Um, That's why I think if you lose the Bulls game, then you have a back-to-back. I think you're like you rest. Then you just guy. bow you out. Al Horford. Yeah. Then you just bow out and, and and just accept the four seed. So, you uh, but if you the win two, the Bulls games and have the or probably what are you two. I mean, so you you want them to go for the two, well, probably the two because Miami's not likely to fall out of one. So you want you want them to go for the two. If they don't get the two, just slide down to four. Yeah, because you go for the two because I think that home court is like is beneficial in the second round. But I would rather have the four for the matchup base than the three at this point because I'd rather avoid Milwaukee or Philly. Uh, and because I think Robert Williams is the most useful against a team, those two teams where you like size is the most important and he can play, uh, potentially in an Eastern conference finals. If you, if you make it there. And so I think if you lose the bulls game, then you just kind of second night of a back to back, you rest, uh, some of your guys, it's going to be, um, interesting to see how Milwaukee plays it. And that's the other thing is like, you just can't control how other teams are going to, uh, play their guys or rest their guys. But I think a lot to pay like in the, if you win the bulls game, then you maybe go for it, get that two seed, get home court in the second round and just like say, you know what, we're going to have to beat Milwaukee or whoever eventually and just deal with it and hope that home court does it for you. But um, I think you just kind of have to make it on a game to game determination because then you'll have more information about where all the other teams are and like what your chances that the, at the seeds are actually like how it's impacted. Let's go to Alejandro. 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 What's up, guys? You got me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. I just want to – I heard uh, Jam was saying that Miami is the one we'd like to pay the most in the second round because I, I don't buy that at all. Who would you rather play? I'd rather the play the Sixers. 100% the Sixers. They, they got to do have Joel and Okay, come on, but we 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 know how to handle and be in the playoffs, especially in the second round. If Timer can come back, I, I, I that does not concerning that much. I, I, they have, they have the coach is Doc Rivers. <laughs> Doc, 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 Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers, he gets a bad rep sometimes, but he is not a bad basketball coach. And I, I think. The combination of Embiid and Harden is petrifying. Like, you can say what you want about the rest of the roster maybe not being up to par. You could, especially the backup center and some of the depth on the team. But dealing with those two guys for seven games will be a bear for whoever has to do it. So, but it, the thing is, at the top of the East, there there are no weak links. Like. You play Miami, you're going to be in a dog fight. You play Philly, you're going to be scared as hell about him beating Harden. 
You play Milwaukee, they're the defending champs. They've got maybe the best player in basketball. So there there will be no easy second round series in the Eastern Conference. That's for damn sure. I feel like the one I'm scared of the least because uh, there'll be one game where Harden gets all his free throws and B gets his free throws, whatever. And then the rest of the time, they're just going to be missing shots, chucking up in the fourth quarter. Harden's going to go like five for 25 or something in game six and lose. I'm not I'm not that <laughs> worried about Philly. That, I mean, I, I appreciate the, uh, the call, Andre. I do. That did make me think about it. Like the, the Celtics absolutely blew the doors off the 76ers um, the most recent time they played. And that's just because the Sixers could not stop the Celtics whatsoever. I know that game, they didn't have James Harden, but I also don't know if adding James Harden really helped the 76ers on defense. I would be terrified of, especially what happens in a series if Al Horford gets in foul trouble or like they would like, especially with both Harden and Embiid just playing the foul game in the playoffs. It's just not necessarily something I want to engage in, but they do have such a weakness defensively that I think that would like benefit the Celtics. So you could talk me into a situation where playing like, yeah, been less scared of the 76ers in the second round, but I also just don't know like how the CD like that would have Milwaukee would have to fall to the four at this point. I guess if you beat them on Thursday night, uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um, but I can buy it. Alejandro. I think, uh, definitely the bucks are the scariest team. Um, I just like, if you, if you default to playoff settings where you go like best player in the series, I think of the 76ers, Joel Embiid is just like clearly would be, still be the best player in the series. And that, that still scares you a little bit. You don't think Tatum could outplay Embiid in a playoff series? Oh, I mean, he absolutely could, but there's just Joel Embiid has play has been an MVP candidate this year. And I've seen him absolutely destroy the Celtics, albeit not in the playoffs. He is uh, never people to forget this. Joel Embiid's never been out of the second round. Um, not once in his entire playoff career. Um, but I've also seen him play against the Celtics and just give them 40 and 20 uh, with relative ease. And I know Al Horford did an excellent job of defending Joel Embiid in the playoffs, but he also had all of Australia for, like being uh, just another giant body and helping him out. Now he's got all of I Germany. Know. What? Now he's got all I'm of Germany. The first time around. I'm saying now he has all of Germany. Well, I'm telling you, Australia is bigger than Germany. Is that true? I, I'm not a big geographer. In terms of a landmass, I would think it's absolutely true. In terms of global power, I think Germany wins. Yeah, I, this this conversation has gone <laughs> off the rails. Jay, is uh, is geography potable? I honestly, after the exchange we just had, I don't think it is. <laughs> and I think it's potable! Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.